thank you for listening to this programme from the Forever Manchester Radio and Podcast Network. Forever Manchester is a charity that raises money to fund and support community activity across Greater Manchester. Check out forevermanchester.com to find out more. So, we played in the Youth Cup final, 1988, but I'm sure I'm a United fan, yeah. Stop it now, Josh, because you're going to ruin the interview. For happy days. For amazing ways. For people who care. For people who dare. For great opportunities. For amazing communities. For a hand up, not a handout. For you. For me. For everybody. Forever Manchester. Let's do something extraordinary. Join the movement. Forevermanchester.com. With me now is a filmmaker, director, writer, producer, ex-footballer. Yeah, I know. Athlete. So, yeah, that's it, in in another life. And all sorts of strings to his bow, Jason Wingard. Welcome to Forever Manchester Meets. Nice to be here, thank you. Forever Manchester Meets is all about discovering a bit about you and a bit about what you do and what you're up to and and your life, really. And it's about chatting to great Mancunians who've got great stories to tell. Right. And I think you've got some great stories to tell. Well, I've got some stories about trying to avoid working 95 for a living. That's, oh, yeah. that's for certain. Is that your story? <laughs> Pretty much. Tell us but about... Let's take you back to the beginning. Tell us about your childhood. What do you know about your childhood? What do you remember about your childhood? Anything outstanding there? Was it pretty ordinary or...? Well, it was pretty ordinary, you know. You, you, you had a lot of freedom, didn't you, I suppose? I'm a child of the 70s, so you got to go out. There was long days, long summers, hanging out and round Cholton, disused railway tracks, wandering around, doing all the things that you shouldn't do as a kid. Uh, but it was different, wasn't it? You had a lot more freedom you could wander around and it's quite funny because you know I talk to people now and everyone's obsessed with uh, I suppose the greatest danger are the roads aren't they these days but also people <laughs> other people were more scared of groups of us <laughs> in the old days back in the day yeah yeah, yeah I, I mean I, I'm, I'm not com- I think that it's just the same I just think there's a heightened awareness of, of, of dangers I suppose these days but yeah that my childhood grew up in I grew up in Cholton Cholton right yeah so and Cholton was very different Front, I suppose then it still had its kind of nice areas but you know there's still like an hardcore of old Cholton that you'll see in certain pubs around Cholton you know but yeah yeah it was a, a good upbringing and I was a bit sport obsessed when I was a, a kid and that kind of led I suppose later on for me uh, playing football at junior level at, for Manchester boys and various other and then being picked up by Man City and I did an apprenticeship there that means you were a bit decent I was yeah kind of like a, you know I try to play now I, you know, I've just got to pass the ball now and kind of like I'm fairly move like the tin man. But um, but in those days, yeah, I was kind of a, a slip of a lad and could move around the pitch and I was a, a forward and uh, and we had a good youth side as well. We got to the Youth Cup final and it was two years before that City had won the Youth Cup final so they had a lot of good young players. Um, of course, because they kept changing managers, they got rid of them all. Did you ever get the opportunity to come across the great and the good and the guys who were in the... Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there's a Bert Troutman film. I met Bert Troutman in the offices at Man City. Right. I met all of the kind of like, the, the you know, the top players there. And we were coached by some of their, you know, Glimpardo and Tony Book were our coaches at that time. And so, yeah, you get to meet Mike Somerby and Colin Bell. They, they were always coming in. 
And it's interesting, isn't it, now, because City are back to where they, they were, I suppose, in the, the early 70s, I guess, um, back to their former glories. They were going for a rough patch at that time, the 80s, you know, to try and find their identity again, I guess. We're both United fans, aren't we? My allegiance to Man City ended exactly the same day of the contract, really. So I was like uh, straight back over to Man United. <laughs> you know, I think it's healthy to have, for the cl- City to have two big clubs, and I think that Manchester United fans have just got to get used to that now, haven't they? There's another big club in Manchester. Well, and I think they've taken it to another level completely. Yeah, they have. I mean, you go and watch that. That, that <laughs> I went past I went past City's ground. I thought, wow, look at this state of the art. And then I went past United's ground and I looked at that uh, hotel they built. <laughs> next to it it's a bit of an eyesore of sorry Gary Neville but it looks like the underpass from in Birmingham in the 1970s so it's a it's a bit of a shock so go on after school did you go on to further education yeah I did I did actually I kind of left I left school I didn't do great at school you know I was always kind of a bright student I think I was always in the top sets and stuff like that but I got distracted I think with all the football stuff so I went back and studied then and that's when I started to study and start to get involved in film really I started to take to film. I started making short films with friends of mine, Super 8 films, kind of silent. And I, I, there was just something, you know, when you just kind of go, oh, this fits this, this this seems right, you know. So that, that was, I kind of just fell into it. But before that, I was a stand-up comic for a while as well. So That's got to be the hardest gig in the world, I think. Well, it's nerve-wracking, but, you know, now I can't even remember why, A, I wanted to do it, and B, what it was like to do it. You know, it's a long time ago since I'd done any. A friend of mine, comedian from around here called Smug Roberts, he said something to me, he said, um, you get 30 seconds to convince everyone you're a comedian, and that always stuck with me. So have a good start, and you're generally all right. So your 30-second show was brilliant. Yeah, my 30 seconds was dynamite. I was great for a minute and a half, and then they were kind of like, thank you very much, good night. Didn't you have some relative success? I was a runner-up in North West Comedian of the Year, so and on a couple of occasions, actually. So as far as, you know, I was gigging around here, I could do it. I understood the mechanisms but I wasn't a great comic by any stretch of the imagination. I knew, I knew what it was. I knew how you did it and how you'd communicate. But I was, you know, I didn't have the freedom that some of the really good comics from around here have got. And some of them, have, you know, there's some great comics around here, aren't there? Justin yeah. Morehouse and Mick Ferry and various other people. And then we had Johnny Vegas was gigging around here, Peter Kay, uh, Smug Roberts, Chris Addison, Dave Gorman, Tony Burgess. Yeah. So it was like, you know, a lot of big name comics uh, Steve, at that time. Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan was slightly before us. He was a couple of years before us, so he was already on his way. Uh, I was kind of like more with that John Bishop crowd of just coming up a, a, like four, four or five years later. Right. So obviously, Manchester's got uh, some great, uh, great sense of humour and, and and great comedians. Great comedians. So yeah, maybe I'm starting to sound like a Scouser now. Great sense of humour. <laughs> Mancunians <laughs> yeah. got. Are we the new Scousers? No, I think we've always had a great sense of humour. No, it's true. I think actually all those northern cities haven't they you know yeah Manchester in particular you know yes a lot of uh, sarcasm and irony (laughs) what was your first job or was it straight into football? It was straight into football. So being a footballer was my first job. And then I did a year at Rochdale. I played in America for in the indoor league for a year. Really? What's that like? That was all right. It was good. You know, it was good. I went over there and I didn't really understand. It was kind of before everything had kicked off. My idea was to go before the 94 World Cup and start playing out there and, and get my feet, you know, feet under the table. It didn't really pan out like that. And... I didn't realise that they only took one foreign player per team on per year. 
And so when I was advised, I was advised by everyone not to bother to go because it was so difficult to get in. But I went in and I went through all the trials and I, I got the foreign spot at, at Wichita Wings. And that meant that I could play there for a year. Wow. So it was great. And they had like um, a capped wage there at the time. So they had a, a maximum wage for the players and a minimum wage. So at the time when I was 19 years old, I was on like two grand a month. I was like, that's that'll do me nicely I'm quite happy with that so was that was that minimum or maximum that was the minimum wage that was the minimum yeah I think the maximum was like 70, 72 grand a year so it was like 9 grand a month wow so it's it, you know but it's it at that time, that was a decent amount of money, you know. So you took the plunge, you just got on a plane, went out there and, and did a trial and got in? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and met some of the old English players who were playing out there at the time. Mickey Thomas was playing out there and various other people. Steve Kinsey used to play oh, yeah. for Man City, he was playing out there. And actually, Terry Nichol was the manager. Terry Nichol's brother used to play for Southampton. I can't remember his, his, his Steve Nich- uh, I can't remember the, the, his name. Uh, centre-half, anyway. But he was from Manchester. We had a Jimmy Nickel at Old Trafford, didn't we? Yeah, we had Jimmy Nickel, yeah. And I met him as well. It was actually really interesting because when, when, when I was a footballer, I did meet all of my football heroes. Right. Uh, Frank Stapleton came in at uh, Man City training at one point, and he was like, you know, I, I love Frank Stapleton when I was when I was younger. So, you know, I'm still a, still a big fan. So was that interest with film... With you then, was it? Would, how, I'm trying to get. How did you get to involved in what? What was the attraction with film? Where, where, where do you think it came from? Um, I think everyone loves film, don't they? But you know, I did, I did, it just was. I, I'd seen so much that it, I, it must have filtered in how you do it, how you frame stuff, where you know what you're going to cut to, and so I had an understanding pretty quickly of what cut to what and in, and how to do it, and then. I started making short films with comedians originally, uh, and actually, ironically, this might end up twenty years down the line being on radio, Radio Four. <laughs> so one of the think one of the ideas that we had, very very in the infancy of making uh, short films, but you know, with a bit of luck, that's going to end up on Radio Four soon. Um, but we, it was just me and a couple of mates of mine. There was a comedian called Peter Slater and a, and a, a mate of mine called Irfan Nazir. And we used to go out and make these uh, taxi driver shorts. And um, we won, like, student film festivals with them. And they were, they were funny. You know, BBC picked up on it very quickly and we almost got something from them. Uh, John Montague was head of the BBC comedy at the time and he really liked the stuff that we were doing you know we were fresh out just make, starting to make films right. and making them instinctively really yeah. just try to make each other laugh and sometimes that's the best way isn't it not to overthink it just do your own thing. So it's one of them. So you should get up in the morning and say, well, "I had a great idea last night. Come on, we're going to do." Yeah, pretty much. You know, because what we'd done, I'd made I'd made one short film which was like a a Super Eight zombie film with a load of mates. With no, you know, and then I made another film which was an animation, and we won some awards with that animation. So then we went and which was like you know, and we're not animators. We did this kind of Terry Gilliam stuff with. Right celebrities and when they when they took all the clothes off they had celebrities as their genitals and it was like a bit of an attack on the culture of celebrity then i made these comedy shorts with these two people pretending to be taxi drivers and just talking nonsense over their shoulder at the passengers and um we watched it in the cinema and everyone was just in hysterics you know so it's like and it's, it's nothing better than watching 200 300 people you don't know 
laughing, you know, at uh, things that you just thought were going to be funny. So how does that develop? Obviously, you've got a love for it, haven't you? A passion. Yeah. There's yeah. a passion. I think so. I think that the kind of, like, you'd, at the time, I didn't know what we were doing and what, where this was going to lead to. But I think that kind of, if you look at your, a lot of people can do that, can't they? They'll look back at their timeline and go, I didn't realise where this was going to lead to. And it didn't lead to where I thought it was going to lead to. So you can plan all you want, but, you know, there's things, you just kind of stumble into things, don't you, throughout your life. And I think that that's the way... The main thing is to be just being proactive and trying to do something and other people will climb on board and other things will happen and grow. So it wasn't at that point we weren't going, oh, we're going to make this and try and get onto the BBC with it. It was just one of those things we were making it to try and make people laugh and we realised then it was almost like an internet show before the internet was booming, you know. So we kind of like, we felt a little bit like we were ahead, you know, ahead of the curve on something like that. Because it was rough and ready, but it was funny. You know. How does that manifest into into feature films? How does it take yeah. go from short? What, what's that transition about? How, do you discover something? Does somebody send you a book or something? And you go. Well, no, no, my, my, you know, I think that people have different routes. I mean, some people know right away that that's what they want to do, and they study it in that way. I never did. I just tr- wanted to just trust my instincts and just make things the way I thought, you know, and place the camera where I thought it should be placed. And then the more you practice, the better you get. You know, it's a bit like going to the gym and working out before you know it. You've got a few tricks up your sleeve of things that have worked for you and that you know you've got a repertoire of things that you can go back to so then I was going about that point I was studying and I started studying at uh, college and then university and making films and then I started doing it for a living so I I started making originally stuff for corporate videos but then when the Tories got in we knew that there wasn't going to be any money left in local councils and so we needed to diversify and uh, I started targeting short film competitions. And at the time, there was two or three big prize money film competitions in the UK. There was one called Reed, which was 10 grand prize money. And the other one was Virgin Media Shorts, which was 30 grand. We went after the 30 grand and uh, got there one year, got into the final. And there's 12 films. This is it. This is it. This is it. Yeah, we're going like that. But we didn't win, you know what I mean? But it was enough. We, we, got, we won the People's Choice Award, uh, which, you know, you had to get votes for. So next year, I, I watched how I watched and thought, oh, I think I know how, the, how you, you know, watched all of the winners and I figured out, all right, let's do a short. And I had an idea for a short and we, and we did it and, and won the next year. And, you know, and that's like 1,500 entries. It's not easy to, to win, but we just had that kind of, it's a bit like doing the comedy. I understood how you, met, you made the films. So I've had that ability, I think, to look at something, analyse it and go, oh, yeah, I know how to, to construct that. So what was your first feature film? We made a feature film called In Another Life in 2016, which was shot in the Calais jungle. So I took two uh, actors with me. I was sat at home and I was watching all of this stuff on on TV coming in. And, you know, you're watching people jumping on wagons and stuff. And I was thinking, I've still no idea what's going on here and why it's going on. And, And the TV just seemed to be scaremongering. And I was like, I don't really have a, a sh- you know, I can't believe that that many people want to get to the UK. <laughs> so I was like, um, so I thought I'll go and find out for myself what's going on. The best way to find out is to go and I, I went down and uh, to Barton Moss, you know, when the anti-fracking stuff was going on, because for exactly the same reason, I thought I want to know what's going on, uh, understand what's going on from their side and from the other side and what's, you know, 
then I can get a shape myself, uh, a view of what, an overview of what's going on. While we were there in Barton Moss, a friend of mine said to me, he was a cameraman, he said, how much do you think it would cost to build this as a set? And that stuck in my mind. So when I saw that was going on with Calais, I thought there's a ready-made film set in a way. Uh, I know it's real life and, you know, kind of like that old adage of not making a, a, a drama out of a crisis, but that's kind of what we did in a way. But it wasn't done in an exploitative way. It was no, kind you were of like, using the backdrop. Yeah, we're just using the backdrop. And also it was a genuine, you know, we wanted to give people a voice really that wasn't coming through in the mainstream media. So we took these people in, uh, we, we shot for about 10 days, we didn't know what the film was going to be about. It was all improvised. And then we came back to the UK with a trailer, raised some money, and then I built a, a set on an anti-fracking camp and I shot some more here under a controlled environment. Then I finished the film. And that film did very well, actually. It won a Biffa, which is a British Independent Film Award, and that kind of gives a platform to off off we go, really. So then you get a bit of a name and a bit of credibility and yeah. exactly what you were talking about before. The more you apply yourself to something, the more experience you get, the more you can learn the tricks of the trade, the more that people begin to recognise you. Yeah, exactly. It was a knock-on thing. I mean, we knew that we were... You know, what, someone had said to me that, you know, the filmmakers in the UK, they only 95% of them, I think, make one feature film, that's it. And it's because it's so hard to raise the money. And then if it doesn't do well, then they're kind of forgotten about. There's kind of an endless conveyor belt of people coming through. And how does that work, Jason? How does that work? What, raising the money? Yeah, financing film. Uh, Well, there's different ways you can do it. I mean, I've always had a bit of a producer's head about making films as well. So I've not sat back and just waited for somebody to bring me a pot of cash because... In, that's kind of always felt fanciful, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I've always worked to bring and in money. And unlikely to not happen. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it, it just never happens. I mean, actually, the the one thing that has taught me, you know, over the years of just life experience is there is never like a, a fairy tale moment where someone comes along and gives you a big bag of cash. It never happens that way. No. You have to go and graft and, and work with people and tell them what you're doing and, you know, convince them and, and gain confidence. And this is what it's all about. And so you have to get in front of people. You have to be proactive, like I was saying before. And then things start to happen. And sometimes in not the way that you think. So what had happened with the first one was that I had some development money, 20 grand. And with that 20 grand, I put my own money into making the first part of that refugee film. And with that, I could then go to investors and say, look, I've put my own money in. You know, why won't you back me on it? And I had something to show them. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, and they gave me some more money. And before you know it, I had 70, 80 grand. I could go and finish that feature film. But we, the other one was half a million plus. And so that was a different kettle of fish wow. raising that money, which right. was Eaten by Lions. And it's um, Eaten by Lions. Yeah, so Eaten by Lions was a comedy. And that was already in development while I was making that other film. Right. Uh, so the idea was that within a year or two years, I'll have two films coming out, and people know who you are. Then, don't they? you know? Kind of like, um, he's, and also that you you can genre hop. So I've done one drama and one comedy, right. uh, both very very different films. So right. one getting critical acclaim on the festival circuit, and this one going out into cinemas, hundred cinemas there nationwide. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to go and see it? I will actually. I think I will sneak in at some point and go and see it. We've got like a. We had a lot of fun making it. Got a great comedy cast. Got Johnny Vegas in it. Uh, Kevin Eldon, Vicky Pepperdine, Asim Chowdhury, who's your buddy G. Yeah. 
uh, Tom Binns, uh, Jack Carroll, Antonio Akeel, Hayley Tamadon. Great, you know, so a big, big recognisable cast, you know, ensemble cast. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a bit weird, you know, when you kind of go, you, you've been building towards something and then you go, actually, now that it's happening, <laughs> I feel strangely numb about it. Yeah, but hasn't your head moved on? Are you not already? Yeah, you are. Are you, are you somewhere else now? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's exactly it because you start to think about the next film or the next films that you're trying to sell and the ideas that you're working on, you know. So, yeah, that's exactly what's happened, you know. And also, we shot this film two years ago. So, you know, it, it's taken ah, that long right. to get cut and get out and b- b- get deals for. And so, you know, it's. Um, I'm already working on two or three different new scripts. So, yeah. It's been fantastic to chat to you. Cheers. Thanks for popping in for a... a yeah, no problems. And a brew. And um, every good luck with all of it. But thank you yeah, very much for taking the time to have a chat to us. Brilliant. Cheers. We are Forever Manchester. We are Forever Manchester. We are Forever Manchester. We are Forever Manchester. We're a charity with a clear purpose. A charity with a clear purpose. Forever Manchester. We fund and support community activity across Greater Manchester with donations raised from individuals, families and businesses. Individuals, families and businesses. We are Forever Manchester. We believe that everyone should have the opportunity to be happy. And we believe our communities have unlimited potential and boast thousands of talented individuals who know what they want and how to go about it. Helping to build happy, stronger, thriving communities. Happy, stronger, thriving communities. We are Forever we Manchester. We are Forever Manchester. We don't label people as disadvantaged or define them by problems and needs. We focus on what's strong, not what's wrong. We focus on what's strong, not what's wrong. We provide a hand up, hand up, not a handout, and we aim to strengthen communities and enrich local life by inspiring local people to do extraordinary things together. 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 We are Forever Manchester, and this is Charity, the Mancunian Way. The Mancunian Way. The Mancunian Way. The Mancunian Way. The Mancunian way.